it's incredible what, what song can do to move your heart. I, I think that's, you know, God, when he, when he created us, when he made us, I think song and music was such a powerful part of us, which is why when we gather, singing his praises and speaking his truths in that way is so powerful for us as a body to remember those things, but also to proclaim them over ourselves and one another. It's a powerful thing. Well, again, I want to say welcome and good morning to everyone. Thank you all for joining us. We're so glad to, to have everybody here. Um, if you remember last week, if you were here last week, you remember we started a, a new series in the book of Hebrews. We are looking at the book of Hebrews, and we began looking at Jesus in this book. We started, we didn't begin at the beginning, and I did that on purpose. We started actually midway through the second chapter. Because what I wanted us to see is that whenever the author of Hebrews is talking about Jesus, when he's talking about Jesus, he's actually talking about so many things that Jesus actually fulfills. When we talk about the Son of God, the, the Messiah, the prophet, we need to see who this was and actually all that this man named Jesus was. So we looked at two of those roles that Jesus uh, fulfilled in his life. First of all, we looked at Jesus as our brother. If you remember, we looked at the scripture and saw how God became a man and he became like us in every way so that he could suffer as one of us and make payment for our sins, which is why the Bible also says that he's not ashamed to be called our brother. So we saw him as our brother and we also saw him as our priest in that role as our brother he could go and make intercession for us as one who understood our temptations, who understood our sufferings, because he himself had suffered like we do. The only difference is, is that he never succumbed to temptation, but overcame all temptation. So Jesus was made like us, so he could represent us and make payment for our sins. And he sympathizes with us, and he is not ashamed to call us his brothers and sisters. And I thought that was an appropriate starting point as we begin to go through the book of Hebrews and, and see Jesus in, in light of all these things. And today we're going to see several other roles that he also fulfills. We're going to see, um, again, as we begin this, we know that Jesus is God. We know him as Savior. And again, last week we saw him as our brother and our priest and this week, what we're going to see is that Jesus is also the Son of God and the heir of all things. These are two other vastly important roles, that Jesus is the Son of God and that he is the heir of all things. Now, what I want us to remember when we're reading Hebrews, and actually, anytime we're reading the scriptures at all, anytime we're reading the Bible, that the focus, the purpose, the hero, the center point, the centerpiece of all Scripture is none other than Jesus Christ. If we were to take Jesus out of the Bible, well, let's just say it this way. In the New Testament, it's obvious. We read about Jesus in the Gospels. We see what he did, what he said, and what he taught. But in the Old Testament, it's not as obvious to everybody that this all is pointing to the Messiah that would one day come. And so a lot of times when we're reading the Old Testament scriptures, we'll read it with a lens that doesn't necessarily see Jesus as the focal point of all things. And what we're missing when we do that, if we don't understand 
that Jesus is the focus, that he's the purpose, that he's the point of all of these stories, these narratives, these truths that God has given us, we actually miss out on the greatest parts of Scripture and the fullness of it. Let's just say this. If we were to remove Jesus Christ from the Old Testament, if we were to remove our understanding of this coming Messiah, what would we be left with? Well, first of all, if you take Jesus and the coming Messiah out of the Old Testament, all you're left with is an angry God that we could never please. You're left with a few moral stories that can't really save your eternal lives. And then you're left with a bunch of laws that end up with nothing but blood flooding out of Jerusalem constantly for the sacrifices that have to be made because we keep on sinning. To remove our understanding that Jesus is the whole point of all the scripture is to miss everything that the scripture is actually about. No, whenever we read the Old Testament, when we read about the fathers, the prophets, the kings, the laws, the battles, everything that happened, we should be asking ourselves, how does this point us to Jesus Christ? And the same thing when we read the New Testament. How does this point us back to Jesus Christ? Everything about him, because he is the Son of God and the heir of all things. Now, with that in mind, let's begin reading in Hebrews 1. Hebrews 1, we're going to read verses 1 through 4. I've only got short, four short verses today. But we're going to see so much about Jesus. I kind of thought about this as I was preparing. You know, whenever you have a, a boxing match and the fighters, you've got the announcer who makes the announcement in the ring. They'll say, you know, standing at six foot six, coming in and weighing 245 pounds. That's me. Um, anyways. Uh, you know, evangelists, they, they tend to exaggerate. But I think of this like with Je the way the author of Hebrews is beginning this book is he's making this huge introduction of who Jesus is and who he's talking about. He's introducing all these amazing things. And because it happens in four quick verses, you could just boom, miss it. You, you could read it in a matter and probably under a minute and miss all of these things. So as we're reading this, keep that in mind that he's introducing this this God, this prophet, this son of God, this heir, and think of it in those terms. So beginning in verse 1, it says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited. As it is more excellent than theirs. We learn so much about Jesus in these first few verses. If you notice, though, the name Jesus isn't quite mentioned yet. The author doesn't get there until part of chapter 2. But remember, we have, the, we have the ability to kind of skip ahead and read ahead at parts. So we can read ahead and look back and know that's who he's talking about. We discussed that last week. But I don't want us to miss these things. We see here, first and foremost, that he is, that God has spoken to our fathers in the days of old. 
But in these last days, he has spoken to us through his son. That means this son is a prophet. In fact, he's the prophet. We'll walk through that. We see he's also the son of God, as we just mentioned. That he's the heir of all things, the creator of the world. And when we say the creator of the world, the word there is actually aeon, which is kind of like the ages, time, space, the universe. Everything was made through him. That he's the radiance of God's glory, the perfect imprint of God's nature and character. He upholds everything by the power of his word. And after making purification from our sin, he's seated at the right hand of the majesty on high, the greatest position of honor in all the universe, and he's superior to all others. So let's look at these things. Let's consider them each kind of one at a time. Again, throughout history, God has spoken to man. In fact, whenever you go and read the scriptures, if you remember how God created the the universe, he spoke everything into existence. Let there be light. And there was light. God loves to speak to mankind. And in the days of old, he spoke in many different ways uh, to the fathers. In fact, if you remember, he spoke to Abraham. Abraham had visitors. He spoke to Moses through a burning bush. Gideon saw an angel. He was visited by an angel. Elijah, God spoke to him through a still, small voice. Isaiah had visions, and on and on we could go. But God spoke in a number of different ways to all of these prophets, who would then relay the oracles, the truth of God, to everyone else. These prophets, he spoke in a myriad of different ways, but in these last days, he sent us a very special prophet, in, in the days of old, God would just pick a person. Just who, he would pick this person to become a prophet. But in the last days, he chose his son to be his prophet. And we think about it this way, that he is the ultimate prophet that was sent of God. I read one commentary that put it this way. Jesus not only brought us the message of God, but he is the message of God. He's the ultimate prophet, the perfect prophet that was sent to us, superior to all others. And again, it's none other than his own son. Now to us who've grown up in the church or been to church, we've heard that term used a lot. But to the Jews at the time, this might have been a very uncomfortable thing for them to hear that God has a son. They probably didn't understand it fully the way we do, which is why the author goes through so much trouble of explaining all these things about him. So in the past, he he used other men, but now he has sent his son. And to kind of back all this up, he reminds us that he has appointed him, his son, the prophet, the heir of all things. Everything in this universe belongs to the man Christ Jesus. He is the son of God, the prophet. He is the heir of all things. I want to think about it in human terms real quick. If a father has a son, when the father passes away, what happens? Everything the father has becomes the son. That's his inheritor, right? If a father has one son and he passes away, everything that belonged to the father goes to the son. He is his heir, his only heir. But we know that God will never pass away. God the father will never pass away. So it is a little bit different in this. So instead of It happening through death of the father, 
the inheritance is actually inaugurated through the death of the son. He's the heir of all things who has earned all things through his own death. It was a life, a submission to become like a servant that the son willingly chose to do for the glory of the father. He willingly submitted himself to. And because of that, the father willingly and joyfully gives all things over to him. He loves to do that to him. And everything that is God's belongs to Jesus, the heir of all things. And if you think about that, if, if God is the king of the universe and Jesus is the heir of all things and all things belong to him, that makes him the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords. Everything is under his rule and reign and submission. And it will be put under. We'll see that as we go on in the, in the chapters later. We won't get into that quite today. But also, this heir of all things, why does everything, why did God decide to give him all of these things? We're reminded of this as well in verse 2, that through him, the universe was made. Again, remember back in Genesis, that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. How did he create the heavens and the earth? We know he spoke everything into existence, but he created that through the Son. He created the entire universe through the Son, that everything was made through him, and it's made to him. It was made through him and to him. The beginning, the first chapter of Colossians kind of also dives into this. And so, although we want to make sure we don't mistake this as well, it, it's a... We're getting a lot here real fast, aren't we? We're getting a lot of things about Jesus very fast. So he's, he's the prophet. He's the heir. He's the one all things were made through. And we know that he became a man, but yet he's not less than God. It's not as if God, any part of the Godhead, is, is more powerful or higher ranking than the other. No, they are all one in perfect unity. And... and the writer reminds us of it in this way. He says that, that he is the radiance of God's glory in verse 3. The radiance of God's glory. And the way we need to think about that is when you see a light, when you see that shining light coming at you, that's what the radiance is. You're seeing the energy from that light radiating at you. And that's exactly who Jesus Christ is, is that he is the light of God's glory. And to look at Jesus, to see Jesus, is to see the Father. If we remember back in John chapter 14, just before Jesus was about to uh, go and be betrayed a few chapters later, that the disciples were asking him, show us the Father. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and it will be enough. And Jesus said to Philip, have I been with you so long and you still don't know me? He says, whoever has seen me, has seen the Father. When we look at Christ Jesus, when we look at the man Jesus, we see the exact perfect imprint of the nature of God. It's almost as if, as if God could be made into a, a man and put on this earth. That's exactly what he would be and that's exactly who he was. That God's nature and character were perfectly revealed in Jesus Christ. 
that he's an exact stamp of his nature. Colossians 2.9 reminds us of this. It says that for in him, in Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwelt bodily. And we think about that. How could the fullness of God dwell inside of, of a man the same way that the Holy Spirit can dwell inside you? The fullness of God dwelt in him bodily. He is the exact imprint of God's nature. Well, you'll often hear me say he's fully God and he's fully man, but it's also to better way to say it is that he is truly God, but he is truly a man. And as if his nature weren't enough, as if it's not enough for him to be the prophet, for him to be the heir of all things, the creator of all things, and by nature, being the radiance of God's glory and the exact imprint of his nature, as if that were not enough, we can also see it by his power, that he upholds all things by the word of his power. When you go back and, and look at this in, in the Greek, I love this, he upholds all things. Depending on your translation, it might say he upholds the world or upholds the universe. But the word there is uh, penta or panta, which actually means all things, everything. Jesus upholds everything by the word of his power. Remember, the world was created through him. So if it exists, it exists because Jesus created it. And if it is upheld, it's upheld because Jesus upholds it. Everything in the entire universe depends upon Jesus. Everything in the universe. Without him, everything would crumble and just cease to exist. If he did not actively uphold everything. When we talk about how much we need Jesus and we don't even understand how much we need Jesus, I I'm being for real. We need him and you we don't even get it. We need him for every single thing. I remember a children's song back in the day, and, and if you know the words, you'll, you'll get this immediately. He's got the whole world. He's got the whole world. He's got the whole world. He's got the... You know, it's incredible the amount of truth that, are, that can be held in a children's song. That everything in this universe is held in the palm of those nail-scarred hands. It's upheld by him. It exists because of him. It exists for him. <laughs> All of that depending on who he is. The prophet, the son, the heir, the creator, the radiance, the imprint, the upholder. And then I love this next part. Because the author's bringing it down to that human level, making sure we understand what he has done for us and exactly who we're talking about. He says, and after he himself, God didn't just send somebody else to do this, after he himself purified us, purged us from our sins, cleansed us, washed us by his own blood, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. 
what that means for us. I mean, this is the greatest place of honor in all of the universe, in all of at God's throne, the greatest place of honor is occupied by a man named Jesus Christ. And I can't tell you how good a news that is for us. That, that right there makes, oh, that makes everything incredible. He sits down at the right hand of the, ma- of the majesty on high. And even though for a time, he became lower than the angels. Now, this is where it's going to get confusing for a second, so just bear with me. Hebrews 2.9 tells us, for a time, he made himself a little lower than the angels when he became a man. Right? God is above all of creation. Angels are created beings. Humans down here on earth, okay? God, he's up here, Jesus, the Son. He makes himself one of us, humbles himself for a time to be lower than the angels. But because of what he's done, because he made purification for our sin by his blood, He has once again been raised up to be far superior to everyone and everything in all of creation, including the angels. This isn't a concept that's as difficult for us, I think, or something that we kind of struggle with. But to make the point and even understand this, that even though he is still a man, just as Paul reminds us that there is one mediator between man and God, the man, Christ Jesus, That man who was raised up, he's been raised up into the highest place of honor. And just so nobody gets confused about where he ranks in the heavenly realms, he's so high above the angels as far as his name is above the angels. And how far is that? Well, if we look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, he tells us right here, because Jesus humbled himself and took the form of a servant, And was obedient unto death. It says, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When we think about this, how much higher is Jesus than everybody else? How much greater, how far superior? He's as far superior even to the angels as his name is superior to theirs. And this is his name, Jesus. And at his name, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I'm telling you, there is a day when all of creation will bow and confess Jesus as Lord, Master, and King of the universe. So when we tell people about Jesus, we're not just talking about some guy who lived 2,000 years ago and who taught some nice things to people. We're not just talking about this guy who was against the system and they 
hung him on a cross because they didn't like what he had to say. When we talk about Jesus Christ, when we read the scriptures, when we see his name, we are talking about the prophet of God, that he is the son of God, that Jesus Christ is God's chosen heir for all things. The universe was made through him. That he is the light of God's glory and the exact imprint of his nature. To look upon Jesus is to look upon God. He's the upholder of all things and he's our savior from sin. Seated in the highest place of honor and given the name above every single name. We also know that he is our brother and he is our high priest. And what I want you to understand is that God, that one who's that high, who's that mighty, who has all that power, all of this, everything by him, through him, to him, for him, of him, he knows you by name. And he is calling you to walk by faith in his life and in his light. He is calling you to become his child He is calling you to become a co-heir with him to shed your sin that he died to, nailed to the cross forevermore, and become a co-heir raised with him. As we look at this, whenever we consider who Jesus Christ is, this is exactly who we're talking about. The man, Christ Jesus, God become man, that he could die and bring us his life. You know, whenever you start preparing a sermon, you always want to have that practical application. Well, how can people use this in their day-to-day? You know, how can you take this, the three points, and and go and use this and and do this this week? You know, and I thought about this. There's really no way to kind of tie this back to us because... This right here is all about him. But the thing about it is, is whenever you look at Jesus Christ in this way, when you understand who he is, that's the only way you can understand who you are and how you should go. It may not be practical in the sense of, here's your three steps, go and do this this week. But what I want to remind us is to see Jesus for all that he is, all of his glory, all of his magnificence, all of the things that he has done and is still doing for you and for me simply because of who he is. So in light of that, let's live. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we are amazed when we read about your Son, God, as you've opened our eyes to, to see him in all of these different things that he is. God, we have a tendency not to really to see or understand everything that your son has done for us. We don't always get everything that he has done, that he's still doing, all the miracles you're still working out in our lives, all the blessings you're giving us, all the mercy you're giving us, all the grace you're giving us. But I, God, I pray that as we read passages like this that our minds and our eyes will be open to see you for who you are 
and to see all the wonderful things you've done and to praise your name and give you all the glory you deserve. Because your son is far superior to anyone and anything that ever will be. Lord, help us to to keep in, in, in our focus that this is all about you. That it's always been about you. The universe has always been about you. That you created this world. That you created people. That you promised us salvation. That you came and brought that. You did that because of who you are. So I pray, Lord, as we continue this series, as we go in our lives, may we see Jesus for who he truly is, and may that truth transform everything about us. There's nothing greater than to know him and be known by him. And Lord, I also pray for anyone in this room who does not know your son, Jesus, who has not repented of their sin and come to him for forgiveness. I pray, Lord, that today your Holy Spirit would begin to move and work in them. Help them to see the truth that if they will turn away from their sin and turn to you, you will forgive them, you will receive them, and you will give them new life in your son, Jesus. Lord, I pray that you do wonderful, mighty works through your church. Use us to be your people on this earth to the glory of God alone. We pray this in the name of our Lord, our Savior, and our King Jesus. Amen.